Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This episode contains disturbing content. Please take care while listening. My name is Patia. This is Hannah. We're actually in the area. Um, we're working on a podcast about Cheryl Walker. And I was wondering if you ever knew her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ferndale, Washington has a population of about 14,000. In a small town like this, people are going to talk. And Cheryl gave them lots to talk about. She was very odd. Uh, Oh, she was an unusual neighbor, for sure. She was legendary around this neighborhood, let me tell you. None of us really liked her because she she wasn't friendly. She wasn't, you know... I'm sitting on the porch with Gina and my producer, Pesha. Gina has lived in this house for over 20 years, long enough to see Cheryl move into and then out of the house next door. Um, we heard a lot of rumors about her, and we Googled her, and we saw that people in her church were unhappy with her because she had gotten a lot of money from them for her own means. And Through the screen door, I can see a big fluffy cat taking a nap in the living room. It's actually Gina's love of cats that first made her suspicious of Cheryl. Of that, because she had a lot of cats running around. And what happened was, I told her about that. You can't let cats out here because coyotes will kill them. And the more cats that they kill, the more they will come around. And there's a big coyote den just, you know, a quarter mile down the road. And she didn't listen to me. She didn't seem to care. And she had one. There was more than one instance in which Cheryl's cats got out. And Gina saved them from being eaten by coyotes. She remembers a cat named Ming that she was particularly fond of. He would come hang out with her in her yard. One day, Ming was just gone. I mean, that really, it really upset me. It was like they were sacrificing cats, mm-hmm. you know, to the coyotes. And Another time, Cheryl knocked on Gina's door, frantically looking for a missing cat. And then one day, this beautiful white cat of hers was missing, and she came over here, and she was really upset, and she said, I need you to help me find this cat. And I said, I don't know if I can, because he's probably gone from, you know, a coyote. But I kept looking. I looked in my woods. I looked all around my property. We never found that cat. Cheryl was so particular about the way that her followers treated their cats. So particular. She threatened random home inspections to keep them on their toes. She even had one of her followers, Connie Gibbs, come back early from a long-awaited family vacation just to take care of a sick cat. Cheryl's message was that these cats were divine, that their lives were more important than human lives. So it's quite shocking to hear that Cheryl was so careless with her own cats letting them wander around outside near the coyotes. did not do that. And I thought, what a contradiction. You know, how unethical. So, so even though she was um, like a New Age church 
goddess or whatever the heck she was. <laughs> I don't know what she was. Um, she she was just full of crap. I mean, she was, you know, she was not authentic at all. Gina remembers that day that Cheryl and her kids left so suddenly back in February 2013. Um, well, the thing that really stands out the most is one day they were gone. We we saw a van and a truck, and all of a sudden, all their stuff was gone. And that she says the house sat there for a long time before it was sold. Um, they couldn't sell it because it reeked so bad of cat urine because she had so many cats. And she not surprisingly, Gina knows the couple who bought Cheryl's old house. She called them and arranged for us to go over and talk with them. Jonathan and Janice are the current owners of that house. And when they went to look at it for the first time with their realtor, they noticed that there were air fresheners everywhere. We were curious. And then we started asking questions about it. And then we learned that there was some weird history. They went back to the house a few nights later with a black light. It was just a spray, you know, like a male cat spray. Up the walls. And so it's up the walls, and then it also drips down. And it's it's... It's a black light and it's creepy because you turn it off and you're standing here in the daytime as well with no black light and you don't see anything. If you look at CSI and you look at blood stains and stuff, <laughs> it, it looked like mm-hmm. something had splattered. What all did you have to do in order to get it in a living condition? We had to cover every surface. So we repainted every surface downstairs mm-hmm. and refinished the floors and we did new carpet in the downstairs bedroom and up, everywhere. Yeah. yeah, It took four months to get it to a livable standard that we were willing to move into. Opening Eva's Eden brought a lot of attention to Cheryl's group. Rumors were swirling that the leader of this cat rescue was not actually all that kind to cats or to people. Her neighbors had decided, to use Gina's words, that Cheryl was full of crap. Cheryl knew that she was out of options. If she wanted to keep going, she had to leave Whatcom County. But she also knew that her ex-husband, Mark Walker, would never let her uproot their kids and move out of state. So Cheryl hatched a plan to take care of Mark once and for all. From Cast Media, this is The Opportunist, a podcast about regular people who turn sinister simply by embracing opportunity. This is episode four of four on Cheryl Ruthven and Eva's Eden. I'm Hannah Smith. Cheryl was developing a bad reputation in the tight-knit community of Ferndale, Washington, and she knew it. She became fixated on the possibility of people discovering her. She worried about it, stressed about it, emailed her followers about it. In one email, she wrote, I'm tired of fighting this continual barrage of hate that comes against what I put my hand to. She began to prepare the Oneness Foundation for a move. Here are her former followers, Mary Gunderson Lancaster and her sister, Rachel Gunderson. I think Cheryl needed to get out of Washington. Um, I think over the years, people paid more attention to her outside the group than she wanted. A member of the Oneness Foundation left the group and then wrote a blog calling Cheryl a cult leader. The blog has since been taken down. Cheryl did not like that blog. She encouraged her followers to flood it with comments saying positive things about her. 
She also told her followers she wasn't just being attacked online. She was being watched in real life. There was a paranoia starting to set in with her where she was starting to think that perhaps she was being watched by the government. And we don't know if this is true or not or it was part of the con, but she was telling us that there was black cars sitting outside her home watching her. It wasn't just the black cars outside of her house. She also said the government had tapped her phone. And then she banned all cell phones from the sanctuary. All of this, the phone tapping, her growing bad reputation, pointed back to something that Cheryl had been preaching about for years. The world was about to end. And as an end times prophet, she was being spiritually attacked. Cheryl claimed she was hard at work creating a plan to save her people. She also believed that the world was coming to an end or Armageddon was coming or there was going to be all the plagues and the pestilences of Revelation going to come start happening in 2012. And she wanted us to set up somewhere to be ready for Armageddon. So on top of trying to find a place to move, you're also supposed to be building your bug out bags, your preparations with the buckets full of food, you know, start designing plans where you can build bunkers underground, you know, if there's a nuclear war. But there was one practical roadblock in the way, and that roadblock was Mark Walker, Cheryl's ex-husband. Mark still had 50% custody of their children. In 2008, their sons were both over 18, legal adults, but their daughter, Olivia, was only 13. Cheryl could not move out of Washington without Mark's permission, and Mark would never give that permission. And this is where Rick Madrid comes in. Last episode, we met Rick. He started dating Cheryl in 2008 and moved to Whatcom County to live with her. And then Cheryl and Rick got married. Kind of. They were never legally married, but Rick didn't know that at the time. They had a wedding ceremony at Cheryl's house with all of her followers. But it wasn't really a celebration. It was more like a ceremonial hex or curse. See, Cheryl was attempting to curse her ex-husband, Mark. How she explained it was it was a spiritual thing. And I was the new spiritual father and the spiritual husband. I thought that her and I, once we consummated our marriage, that Mark was going to die. She had her whole church pray for Mark to die. The whole church. The fake wedding ceremony did not kill Mark. So Cheryl went out and bought a gun, an AR-15 rifle. Rick didn't realize the implications of Cheryl buying a gun at the time. He thought she just wanted her son Landon to learn how to shoot a gun. She asked Rick to teach him. So we went and bought a bunch of shells, and me and Landon went out shooting. And You know, we shot and shot and shot. We shot a thousand rounds, probably, and we got to where we could shoot, right? While they were practicing, Cheryl would join them. She wouldn't shoot. She would point out targets for Rick to shoot, for fun, or so he thought. Could he hit a barrel at a distance of 50 yards? What about 100 yards or 200 yards? And every time we'd go out shooting, she would pick a farther and farther target to see if we could hit it. And, you know, after a while, you're like, okay, well, these things are the size of men. And then she started driving Rick by the house where Mark and Mary Walker lived with Mary's three children and their dog. Rick says Cheryl described the layout of the house to him in detail. 
And I, and you know, I'm not stupid. You know what I mean? I mean, I know because all these times, you know, what she wanted didn't happen with me. So she literally, she like pounded it in my head that he's got to go. Rick said it happened slowly. First, Cheryl told him over and over that Mark was evil. Mark had to die. Then she bought the gun. Then she encouraged him to practice shooting. Then she told him the layout of Mark and Mary's house. She was setting him up to kill Mark Walker. Years later, Rick would connect with Mary and Mark and tell them the whole story about the day that he almost killed them. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. So we know now that Cheryl and Rick had come here uh, on more than one occasion, and Cheryl was describing to Rick the layout of the house, and um, he was supposed to come down and um, kill us, and the kids and the dogs and everybody. I'm at the top of the drive of Mark and Mary's old house, the house they lived in in 2008. We are standing very close to where Rick would have stood with Cheryl going over the layout of the house, planning to take them out. Rick actually came to pick up Olivia, and now looking back, I wonder, like, what the agenda there was. Like, why did Rick come to pick up Olivia after a weekend with us or after her visitation with us? Um, he just, you know, he, he touched me, he shook my hand at that time, and to now know that in context of what was actually going on at that time, it's sort of frightening that he was down in front of our garage and Olivia loaded up all of her things and got into the car with him and that that was part of the plan, that he get a first-hand knowledge of us, got a really good look at the house. You know, another thing that I think is shocking is he actually told us that he had me in his sights with a rifle at certain yardage and didn't pull the trigger. But to get him to the point where he was even at the top of this driveway is um, scary too. I asked Rick about this. It's not a moment in his life that he is likely to forget because he came very close to killing Mark. I went down there one day and I sat down the, down the road from his house and him and his wife were outside. And I didn't realize how close he had come to losing his life that day. But I could have easily taken him out. I went down there and I had him in my sights. I was in the car and I had him in the scope. I was probably 500 yards away and I could have very easily, but I didn't. What do you think stopped you? It had to be God. 
when I put the rifle down and I drove away, I knew, I just knew that God had intervened. And that's that's when I thought, if this man is supposed to die, why is God trying to save him? Whenever you left that day with the AR-15, did you think you were going to kill him? There was a very long pause after I asked that question. I wanted to see how hard it would be. I wanted to see if if it was going to be this big old chore and why it hasn't been done. You know what I mean? If he was supposed to die, why hadn't he? Rick did not pull the trigger that day, and Mark and Mary are still alive. They had no idea at the time that there was a hitman at the top of their driveway. And perhaps surprisingly, they like him. The hitman. Rick. They keep in touch. Yeah, I'm just thankful to Rick that somehow, for whatever reason, he had an epiphany at that time. He was involved with something that was way over his head and that wasn't true to who he was, and that somehow he found that the strength or whatever to leave. And um, we've talked since then, and you know he's a, he's a great guy to talk to on the phone um, now, <laughs> but he used to be the hitman. The day that Rick didn't kill Mark, he drove back to Cheryl's house and confronted her. It turned into a big blowout fight. When I went home, I said, if Mark Walker is supposed to die, why did God just intervene and save his life? Explain that to me, prophet. Oh, you're more full of shit than a Christmas turkey, I told her. And, oh, she lost it. She was upset. Looking back now, his relationship with Cheryl looks very different. Rick thinks back to how Cheryl pursued him, how she called him out of the blue and began a relationship with him over the phone, She eventually flew to New Mexico to see him and convince him to move to Whatcom County. I think she had it planned. I think she had talked to Leonard about me, and so she kind of had an idea of the kind of guy I am before I even talked to her, before I even knew about her. I think she had planned it all along. Because Leonard, uh, don't get me wrong, I mean, he's a good guy, you know, but he was manipulated just like everybody else. Rick's brother Leonard is part of the Oneness Foundation. He's married to Rochelle, Cheryl's most devoted follower and best friend. And Rick believes that Cheryl heard about him through Leonard, that long before she ever met him, she had devised a plan to seduce him, fake marry him, and convince him to kill her ex-husband, Mark. So I'm a very loyal person. I am. And usually when I set my mind to something, I usually get it done. Now... I've never killed nobody. I just thank God that that I didn't, you know? Your life would be very different right now. Yeah, exactly. I'd be in prison and she'd be a millionaire. Rick left the Oneness Foundation and moved back to New Mexico. On April 8th, 2011, Cheryl wrote an email to her followers. It says, Rick Madrid and Mark Walker had to be removed. Even under death threats, I had to stand my ground and fight my fear of retaliation. God tested me severely to see if I would honor what I knew to be truth, rather than to walk in complacency and compromise. 
If it is true that Cheryl believed Rick was the kind of person who she could manipulate into killing Mark, then it really backfired on her. Rick is one of the few people I've spoken with who is not afraid of Cheryl, not even a little bit. Which is kind of odd because he does believe that she has supernatural powers. To this day, he is convinced that she can levitate and that her energy can make people vomit. But as soon as he did not pull the trigger and kill Mark Walker, the spell was broken. Rick has no doubts that God saved his life that day by sparing Mark's. With Mark still alive, Cheryl had no choice but to wait until Olivia was legally an adult to move. This would be another five years. And during this time, Cheryl changed her mind more than once about where the group would be going. Every time she changed her mind, she would tell the group that things had changed spiritually. Here's Rachel. At first, she wanted to move us to Alaska. She was saying it's because God called her. God told her we have to move to Alaska. Here is a recording of Cheryl in which she preaches about a past trip to Scotland, where she battled a Scottish demon, and the demon told her to move to Alaska. What had happened in Scotland is God integrated the Magdalene mantle with the other mantles, so they came together. I fought a power called Achillian here years ago, and um, he came to me. And he wanted to strike a deal. And so I said, what is it? And he says, I want my remnant. And I said, oh, I want my remnant. And so he said, you can have the main part of Scotland, but you cannot have the highlands. Because highlands are where his people are. The Vikings, the Gaelics. And I said, very well. I said, then you can have the United States, but you cannot have Alaska. Here's Rachel again. So all of us are trying to figure out how we're going to move to Alaska. And then she got so angry with us for not being enthusiastic enough about it. She said, fine, God said you all have to move to Scotland. Because Alaska wasn't hard enough. So now you all have to figure out how to get to another country. Actually, Cheryl had become enthralled with Scotland. She had been traveling to Scotland for years at this point. She kept Scottish fold cats And in 2012, she legally changed her last name from Walker to Ruthven, a Scottish last name, also pronounced Ruthven. One of her followers told me Cheryl thought she would have a better chance of immigrating to Scotland with a Scottish last name. She also joined an international dating website. Her profile says that she is looking for romance, saying, My passion is Europe, but my heart is in Scotland. Would love to meet people that are in Scotland, especially the Perthshire area. I come there every summer. Cheryl often talked about this idea of Shambhala, or Shambhala, as it's often pronounced. I'm pronouncing it Shambhala because that is how Cheryl pronounced it. But it's a Sanskrit-originated word, and the concept is found in many different cultures and religions. It is a place of bliss or tranquility, often thought of to exist within the mind, a place that you could reach through meditation. But sometimes it's also thought about as an actual place, a sort of mystical, mysterious heaven on earth. And this is a tape of Cheryl in 2008 talking about Shambhala. She talks about it as a place within one's own mind. 
It will produce the abundance of that of life. As God is introducing us into the corridor of Shambhala, the place of immortality within our minds, we will exchange that of gifts. But in 2012, she changed the search for Shambhala from a metaphorical search to a physical one. Shambhala was a physical place of immortality, the place that the group would go for the end of the world. Alaska, it shall call, says the Lord. And the power of Scotland, it beckons, says God. My people shall live and they shall not die, says the Lord. But it's not so easy for an entire group of Americans to suddenly immigrate to Scotland. Cheryl had sway, but not that much sway. It's easier to move with a student visa or if you are sponsored by a Scottish company or marry a Scottish person. She even had me at one point um, pursuing, at the time, a friend of mine I had in Scotland, pursuing him to get him to marry me so I could go to Scotland and make a doorway for her to get to Scotland. A friend of yours who was Scottish. A friend of mine was Scott that I had made friends with. She was positioning me to get him to want to marry me. One thing I've been thinking about in connection with this potential move to Scotland is the obvious financial disconnect between Cheryl and her followers. Multiple sources have told me that Cheryl's current net worth is in the millions, but even in 2012, she was doing very well financially. It has been estimated that she receives over $40,000 every month from her anesthesiologist husband, Pete Herbig, and has been since 2005 when they were married. She also received over half a million dollars from Mark Walker in their divorce. By contrast, most of her followers are blue-collar workers. A move to Alaska, let alone Scotland, was financially unattainable for them. Over time, Scotland obviously turned into, it was too hard. She went to Scotland probably four or five times to look at houses, to try to figure out how to get Eva's Eden over there. And eventually, I think she just gave up. And she said, then God wanted us to move to Tennessee uh, because Tennessee was the spiritual Mecca. Every time Cheryl changed her mind on their destination, there was a spiritual reason for it. She was discerning where exactly Shambhala was located. And eventually, she decided that Shambhala, the mystical holy land, nirvana on earth, the place that God was leading her people to wait out the apocalypse— was actually in Columbia, Tennessee. On January 26th, 2013, Cheryl sent an email to her followers, letting them know that the move to Columbia, Tennessee, would be happening in 30 days. 30 days of intense transition now comes upon you. From full moon to full moon, 30 days of transition is now here. Those who have not heeded my word in a time of prosperity will now heed it in a time of tremendous lack. This freedom comes with a high price. Great bloodshed will be poured out. Something terrible comes this way. You must birth Eden. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Mark Walker isn't the only one who didn't know about the move. In fact, Cheryl was adamant that the group's plans be kept quiet. So I was on the inside of this story. It was planned that when Olivia turned 18 in the month of February 2013, I would say like summer into fall the previous year, it was her plan to wherever we moved to whisk them out in the middle of the night on her 18th birthday and not leave a trace of where they ended up and that that they were at that point to completely cut any ties with Mark. In January of 2013, Cheryl wrote another email to her followers. It says, First, I would prefer you to protect myself and the ministry and not tell anyone until I am gone. My family needs this protection until we leave. Second, leave myself, the church, and Eva's Eden out of everything. You are moving to Tennessee for whatever reason you wish to come up with. Cheryl wanted people to think that her ministry had been dissolved and that she had relocated to Scotland to write. In that same email, she went on to say, Please say this has nothing to do with the church and leave it at that. Otherwise, we are headed into a storm that I really don't want to relive. Please don't make me regret opening the doors for you to come with me to Tennessee. I am going to start over and to have no one know anything about myself, the cult, or the church. This email is significant because in it, Cheryl refers to her group as a cult. After a year of quiet preparation, Cheryl's group was ready to go. They all quit their jobs, put in notice where they were living, and arranged to ship all the cats to Tennessee. And then a few days before they left, Rachel's world was completely turned upside down. I asked her about this when we were in Whatcom County. We're in the car. Yeah, that I was supposed to move to Tennessee within days. And I, Mary told me that I wasn't allowed in the group anymore, and I wasn't allowed to move with them to Tennessee. Cheryl made Rachel's own sister excommunicate her. And I got kicked out because I was dating, trying to date someone that lived in the Tennessee area. According to Rachel, Cheryl did not allow members to socialize with anyone outside of the group. But Rachel had been secretly talking with someone she met online. So I immediately called that person and told them, like, this is done. I I can't talk to you anymore. We're done talking. That's it. And, of course, he didn't understand why. Mm -hmm. And then I immediately emailed Cheryl, basically pleading for forgiveness of, like, "Um, you know, I cut it off. I'm so sorry. You are the prophet. You are Magdalene. You are Christ. You know, I, I did wrong. You know, please forgive me. I'm so sorry I did this again. I promise never to do it again. Um, And then her response pretty quickly was, What God has told me is final. Rachel describes how lost she felt in that moment. She felt as if she had been abandoned by God, and she was sure that she was going to hell. My skin hurt. I was crying so hard. And knowing that that was it, that was 
That was my connection to God that was taken away. And now, even though I don't believe in any of that stuff, and I'm glad I don't, but that was really important to me at the time. And it, and it was just ripped. It, you know, I gave so much to have it torn away and I had no time to adjust my beliefs. I had no time to decide that I don't live this way or I don't think this way anymore. It was gone. And this is all because you were dating someone? Dating, and in her mind, I had exposed her. I had torn the veil of secrecy. But it wasn't just that she felt abandoned by God. Within half a day's time, she was cut off from the group completely. The people who were supposed to be my family couldn't talk to me, couldn't look at me. I was still required to be at Eva's Eden to clean, and I was still required to give tithe and offering. But I was not allowed to to be a part of my family anymore. And But I also couldn't tell anybody what was happening. Cheryl would eventually contact Rachel and tell her that she was allowed to move to Tennessee. And Rachel would. She would move across the country, hoping that Cheryl had forgiven her and that she would be allowed back in the group. Ultimately, Cheryl would decide not to let her back in. Rachel and Mary were both living in Tennessee, but their relationship ended when Rachel was excommunicated. When Cheryl made Mary kick me out, it was there was a line that was drawn from that point for about a year and a half that if we talked, it was about things about, like, the phone bill. Mary later admitted that she was the one who told Cheryl that Rachel had been dating someone outside of the group. After Rachel's excommunication, Mary continued to devote herself to Cheryl, the ministry, and the cats. On February 11, 2013, Cheryl and her kids left their home in Ferndale, Washington in the middle of the night for Columbia, Tennessee. The rest of the members followed not long after, and Eva's Eden continued their work rescuing cats. There were times when Mary thought about getting out. But the thought of leaving the ministry, of leaving Cheryl, was terrifying. What were you afraid of at that time? I could tell you I was afraid of hurting Cheryl. I was afraid of breaking her heart. I mean, to be honest, she probably didn't give too flying about me, really. But um, at the, I was afraid to make her sad and to make her angry. And even in those years when I knew something was off and this is really weird, I still had definitely a deep-seated fear of God, deep-seated fear of um, going to hell, of facing eternal punishment for not following through with what the works that I was being told that God was asking of me. So uh, there was definitely a fear of punishment from leaving, and not just fear of punishment from Cheryl, but punishment from God. Mary believed that if she left Cheryl, she would lose everything good in her life, even her own sanity. Something Cheryl used to tell us very often, that if you don't make it in this group, if you don't keep following and keep moving along with her, the moment you leave her, you will be filled with a crazy mind. You will uh, lose everything you have, everything that's great, like your job, your home, your car. Uh, You would lose those things and you would go crazy insane. And yet, eventually Mary did leave. She met a woman online and they started to build a relationship. And for the first time in a decade, Mary imagined what her life might look like without Cheryl. Through that relationship, I was actually finally like, 
where I'm at, this really sucks. But over there, there's this woman who likes me back and I can finally be me. So I'm, I'm getting the hell out of Dodge, but it took that to happen. That, that light, that little spark that there's something else besides that. For the last 10 years, Mary had believed everything Cheryl told her, including that it was a sin to be gay. Ultimately, the thing that brought Mary out from under Cheryl's control was love. After over a year of very little communication with her sister, Mary reconnected with Rachel and shared with her that she was in a relationship with a woman. It was the first person I told. There was no pause. I wanted my sister back. Not surprisingly, Cheryl did not make leaving the group easy for Mary. Uh, Cheryl did everything in her power to keep me from leaving. I mean, she even invited this other lady to come join us and make her part of the group. Oh, and also when I finally said, I met somebody, I'm coming out of the closet. I'm done with this group. I'm done with being in this cult. She became sweet and loving. Uh, She even invited me over to her house and invited me to talk to her in her bedroom with the door closed. Nothing happened, but it was definitely, she was setting a scene. And she was saying, if you could just, you really belong here with me. You belong in this group. I will start teaching them that homosexuality is actually not a sin and that God is speaking to her that we are to accept all people no matter who they love. But Mary had made her mind up. She walked away. That was seven years ago, and things are good. She got married to her wife in 2019, and they have a beautiful life together. But healing takes time. After being so manipulated by Cheryl, she can be slow to trust others. I do probably need to see a therapist. (laughs) I probably should do some therapy over this. But I have a hard time trusting a therapist because it feels like I'm putting someone over in a power position over me again. Because Cheryl, lots of times, was my therapist. I asked Mary if she could say anything to Cheryl now what would it be? She said she has nothing to say to Cheryl. But she did have something to say to the people who still follow her. If you can find a way out from this and just leave it, and you don't have to be like all like throwing everything up in the air and lighting it on fire, but if you could just walk away and find your own life and your own happiness outside of that, it is so, so, so worth it. Um, to go from a place of being in absolute fear of a woman to be exhausted from serving her and taking care of 80 cats and giving my resources, my life, my energy, my artistry to this woman um, and then just to be able to walk away and build myself back up to who I truly am. It is so worth it. And I would ask them to truly look at where they're at and to see, ask themselves, are you really happy? Is this really where you want to continue to stay until the day you die? Mary took 10 cats with her when she left. Of those 10, one is still alive, her last Eva Zedin cat. After praying for my death for as long as my children have, um, I love my kids, but I love them with my hand up. I love them with my hand up. That's how Mark Walker feels about his kids now. That's how he has to feel about them. Knowing that they were trained from childhood to hate him, knowing that they were forced to pray for his death, he wants them back in his life. 
but the reality of Cheryl's influence over them is understandably concerning. I have told everybody in the family, if you see them coming towards you, you run the other way because you have no idea what they're going to do. His kids are all adults now. They're all still part of their mother's ministry. None of them have left Columbia, Tennessee. When they first moved to Tennessee in 2013, Mark called the local sheriff to ask for a wellness check. He wanted to know that they were okay. And instead of doing a wellness check, he called Cheryl. And of course, Cheryl told him that I was a terrible human being and they had to leave in the middle of the night and I was an awful human person. And so when I called back, the sheriff basically said, if you ever come here, I'm going to arrest you. I asked the sheriff, I said, why do you believe her and not me? Why wouldn't you just do a wellness check on the kids? I mean, why don't you just find out if they're fine? That's all. And then you can just tell me if they're fine or not. You know, I just want to know. Ted Johnson hasn't had contact with his daughter Ariel since she was 18. She's in her 30s now. He still has the same home address and phone number, just in case someday she needs him and wants to reach out. She will be able to find him. I mean, you know, love is hard enough in this world to find, you know, and if somebody wants to show you a little bit of kindness and a little bit of love, why would you avoid that like the plague? God, I mean, I love my daughter. She's she's my life. But like I say, she got taken away from me. But I have to say, it's her decision too, you know? And she, she has her own mind and she can, you know, make up what she wants to do. But all I want her to know is that she still has a dad here who thinks of her every day and who loves her with all his heart. And I'm just sad we can't have a relationship for whatever reason. If you put a frog in a pot of boiling water, it jumps right out. But if you put a frog in room temperature water and let it slowly heat up, the frog will cook to death before it notices. It's a metaphor that's meant to remind us to be wary of small changes that can lead to catastrophic outcomes. Countless hours of research and conversation later, and I'm still left wondering, just how much power does Cheryl really have? I think Mary Walker said it best when she talked about Rick Madrid's apology to her and her husband, Mark. Well, he told me that Cheryl had him up at the top of our driveway a couple of times, at least, and that um, she was going through the layout of our house. And not only did she want Mark dead, but she wanted me dead, and she wanted my children dead and our dog. Cheryl wanted them all dead. But they're all still here. And they're fighting back. An article about Cheryl Ruthven and Eva's Eden was published in the Nashville scene in September of 2016, As a result, Eva's Eden took down its Facebook page and shut down the website. Cheryl has denied claims that her group operates as an abusive cult, denouncing critics online and threatening legal action. We reached out to Cheryl, her three children, and all of her current followers that we are aware of. We haven't heard back from anyone. Mary Walker created a Facebook page as a place for Cheryl's ex-followers to find community, as well as a place for people to write messages to their estranged family members, with the hope that those letters might reach them. You cannot force someone to leave a cult like Cheryl's. They have to come to that decision on their own. Mark Walker hopes that someday his children will make that decision. So with um, Mary's uh, webpage, 
we've seen people come out of the cult. Yeah. And it's it's what happens is they have to have the epiphany. You can't you can't explain to somebody but what causes that epiphany? Well, maybe I hope this does. Be sure to check back next week for the season epilogue. The Opportunist is a cast original podcast. It's produced by me, Hannah Smith, along with River Donahue, Pesha Eaton, Amanda Elliott, and Kate Mays. Colin Thompson is our executive producer and music supervisor. Anton Doty is our editor and music editor. Matt Sewell is our audio mixer and master. The cover art is by Arvin Lee. The ending credit song is Redemption's Gone by Tim John Howarth and James Patrick Kaleth. You can email us at theopportunist at castmedia.com. That's cast with a K.
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.